The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 316. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page, where you can watch this podcast, at Brian McClanahan. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can also support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll. And of course, those that do enroll get the best deals on forthcoming courses. This is a big hint because I've got a forthcoming course out there. So if you're already enrolled in the academy, again, free of charge, you'll know about the deal and you can get it if you're looking for the new course, which is going to be awesome. Okay, so And it's timely because of what's going on in the current political climate. So you want that. Of course, you can purchase courses there too. If you're on my email list, you've been seeing I'm running a sale right now. If you're getting this before Father's Day 2020, I'm running a sale. So you can get that sale as well. I've got all kinds of great stuff. Look, I mean, about a dozen courses now available for purchase. So you're going to want to get one of those. It's a great way to support the show. Also, you get great stuff for it. And all of my courses give you a lifetime membership. And you can download all the lectures and all the videos, do all that. And you can watch them, listen to them anywhere you want, anytime you want. So, I mean, it's it's great. Lifetime. You got this. You purchase. Let's say you purchase my class on American Constitutions. You've got it for as long as the class is there. You, you can take forever to watch it or listen to it if you want to. It doesn't matter. It never expires. Plus, I've got an affiliate program if you want to sell the classes yourself, make a little cash on the back end. A lot of great stuff at McClanahan Academy, so go out there and check it out. You can also support the show by going to LearnTrue, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. A lot of great courses there, too. I also teach there, so another great way to do it. You can go to BrianMcClanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on. If all you want to do is support the podcast, you can do that, too. You can buy a book plate, get my autograph on one of my books. My latest book, just out at Amazon, Southern Scribblings, forward by Ben Cooter Jones. It's a great book. So you've got that. Uh, all kinds of great ways to, to support the show. You can go to brianmcclanahan.com, click on the shop tab, get your Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff. So look, I've got all kinds of ways to support the Brian McClanahan Show, and I appreciate your support. Please share it around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. It does help. Uh, send me your suggestions. I love getting that stuff because it gives me fuel to go out. It's, it's my muse, so I can go out and do this podcast for you. So let's talk about the topic. And... Uh, I, look, there's so much to talk about right now. I mean, we are living in truly strange and stupid times. And the real stupidity, I think, comes from those who are supposed to be friends or conservatives. I wrote about this recently, and I titled the piece American Girondins, because with friends like these, who really needs enemies? And we all know the left is dangerous, problematic, they're a disaster, particularly the radical left. I mean, we're seeing what's happening, vandalism, violence, mob action. I mean, this is, and this is why I did a podcast years ago 
on the really dangerous part of American politics, just world Western politics in general, is the left. It's the political left. They've always been the violent ones. If, if you don't believe me, just go back and look through history and find who led the greatest and most violent uprisings, political uprisings, in the history of the world, and you're going to find, or the Western world, and you're going to find it's the left. The French Revolution, the most cataclysmic event in the history of the West, driven by leftists. And then every single revolution from that point forward, driven by leftists. It's horrible. Now, uh, you can see the Napoleonic Wars as a continuation of this. I mean, w w was Napoleon a departure from the revolution? I don't believe so. There was the unleashing of nationalism onto Europe, which of course created a whole bunch of other revolutions. And all of that led to the communist revolution in, Soviet, in the Soviet Union or Russia in 1917. And we've seen this spread out now throughout the world. So uh, I'm not sure if Marx would have had much traction had we not had the French Revolution. I mean, it was a disaster. Now, you can, on the other side, you could say, well, yeah, but all those people were oppressed by the, by the old regime and uh, you know, the ancient regime, and they just needed, needed, to, they needed to be released from that oppression. And I think there were Americans, I mean, many of them at the time, who looked at the early stages of the French Revolution with uh, glee. I mean, they thought this was going to be great, but then they saw the terror, and of course the terror was a natural extension because you had people in the ancient regime who were not going to just willingly give up what they had, so you had to get rid of them. And I think you're going to start seeing some of that here in America at some point. I mean, I don't know if it's going to get as nasty as that. Hopefully it never does. But the people, and what, what we're doing now, we're not actually taking off heads, which is a good thing, and hopefully that never gets to that. But we're deplatforming people, canceling people, doing all these things to try to ruin them so that they can never be out in public again. I mean, this is, this is the problem. And I think that thoughtful people on both sides are saying, wait a second, wait, wait, wait. All right, enough is enough. We can't be doing this to people. We can't silence people. People have to be able to, to speak their mind. No one wants to silence the left and what they're saying, but you shouldn't silence the other side either. Uh, and so I think thoughtful people are doing this, and maybe the left is going to overplay their hand. I don't know, because for five years we've been seeing this thing get gradually worse, worse, and worse. So what's going to happen? We know that part of cancel culture is to eliminate everything that is Confederate. And we know it's not going to stop there, because once the Confederacy is done, well, then you have to go after the other racists in America. And vir virtually anyone born before 1970 is going to be called a racist. Or we have to get rid of any, but any great person before 1970 because they're inevitably a racist. There's very few examples of public, public individuals who weren't. So what do we do about all of that? Do we take down... Uh, do, do we, I mean, do we just start in year 2009 with Barack Obama when he was canonized as president? I mean, is, this, is this where we go in America? And I think that's the really serious question. So when people start talking about, they focus in on Confederate memorial. I mean, this is just, in so, so many ways, the current attention on all things Confederate is the most stupid thing you can think of. Why? Because it really has nothing to do with anything that's going on in American society today. But it's the low-hanging fruit. And of course, so if we take out Southern symbols, Southern statues, if we take out the traditional South, then America would be better. I mean, we know that if we had just taken down all those Confederate monuments in, in Virginia, that George Floyd would still be alive today. Because we know that was the reason why that cop 
put his knee on the neck of George Floyd. It was because of those monuments in Richmond, Virginia. It's all because of that. I mean, that guy probably went out and looked at all those monuments and then did that horrible thing to George Floyd. I mean, this is just, it's, it's an argument that doesn't make any sense. So if we rename all, we rename all these United States military installations, we rename Fort Benning and Fort Bragg and do all these things, if we just do that as General Petraeus suggests we do in the Atlantic, well, then it's all going to be better. Everything will be better because, of course, there will never be police brutality anymore. There will never be racial conflict anymore. We know that when, when Barack Obama was elected president, we didn't have any racial conflict anymore. None of it. It all went away. Now, you could, the cynics would say, well, that's because he was elected president. We, all these people got mad and they just wanted to rise up. That, that, no, that didn't happen. Or we know that be, I mean, people say, well, because of Trump, we're getting all these racial problems. I mean, look, um, th that's not true. I mean, these things are around regardless. So focusing on the Confederacy is really a distraction. It's a distraction. It's a distraction from... We don't have sports right now, right? I mean, this is this is the bread and this is the bread and circuses of the modern political left and the modern political class. If you look at what's really going on in America, the United States government has racked has doubled the debt in the trillions of dollars. And to put trillion in, in perspective, I don't know if anybody's if you've ever heard this before, but if you were to spend a, a million dollars a day from year one until today, you still would not have spent one trillion dollars. You still would not have spent $1 trillion. That's how much a trillion is. It's a lot of money. So when you've racked up trillions of dollars in debt, you've got the dollar on the verge of collapse, which could happen. You've got an economy that's floating on, I mean, who even knows what anymore. You've got half the country shut down because of coronavirus. You've got all of these issues. You've got severe economic and physical distress going on. I mean, people really are hurting. You have all of these things happening. And yet, and yet, we're talking about Confederate monuments. You think about, there's no baseball, there's no basketball, there's no football. So what are we going to talk about? Well, we'll distract everybody from the real issues. You've got major abuse of power by the Congress and the President. You've got all kinds of things happening. You've got potential war between China and India. You have, you have potential war between North and South Korea, which, of course, because the United States is an imperial power, is going to be dragged into that. You look at all of that, and we're talking about Confederate monuments. Can you even be more stupid than this? I mean, I, I don't know, because, I mean, you've got things happening, not just that. I mean, you've got in California... And if you think it's going to stop with Confederate monuments, you're foolish. We've got California taking or changing the names of two schools that were honored for George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, those alt-right fanatics. Well, we got to get rid of those because, you know, Washington and Jefferson, I mean, these people are bad. This is in San Francisco. Well, you know San Francisco's a bunch of loons. But certainly, here's where it's going to go. They always set, that, that's the beginning. And then, of course, other people follow suit. Do we start renaming cities? Counties, towns, uh, there is, I mean, symbols, not just of statues and, and flags and other things, but do we start getting rid of antebellum homes? Because it remind people, I mean, we're going to change Aunt Jemima and, and Uncle Ben, right? So we're going to get rid of that. I mean, what are we doing here? This is, just, this, this is the most idiotic brand of lunacy, I think, in the history of America.
And the sad thing is, I know that some on the, I mean, look, the right is generally, well, we can't get, rev- I mean, this, they're making fun of the changing of syrup or rice, but yet they're perfectly fine with taking down Confederate monuments. And, and to give you, I mean, again, with friends like these, who really needs enemies? So when you look at a piece by a man named Cameron Hilditch. Now, Cameron Hilditch is a young man from Northern Ireland. He writes for National Review, and he's written two pieces within three days on Confederate symbols and monuments for National Review. Now, look, two things. One, Hildreth, is that right? Yeah. I'm sorry, Hilditch, excuse me. Cameron Hilditch, not Cameron Hildreth, Cameron Hilditch. Now, Hilditch is... Uh, I mean, partly to be excused because for two reasons. One, because he's young and he doesn't know anything. And two, because um, he is uh, a foreigner writing about these things. And so w- one of my favorite history professors in graduate school is a foreigner. So, I mean, I can't say that these people uh, aren't, uh, you know, good historians. He, Hilditch has read Basil Gildersleeve. I mean, I'll give him credit on that. But I don't know if he's read much else. I, I, I don't know because you can't really get a sense of that. Uh, so he writes this in the first piece, which is the un-American Confederacy. Now think about that. The Confederacy is un-American. A purely American response to a political issue, which is the, which is the right of self-determination, is now un-American. This is what the right has suggested, the mainstream neoconservative right, because Hilditch is a neoconservative, writing from Ireland. I mean, we should just disregard this completely. But I was sent this thing so many times that I thought I I had to respond to it. So, number one, Hilditch is writing that the the Confederacy was un-American. But he says it's not. The Confederacy is un-American. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not American, it's un-American. He says, quote, My view is that the lingering affection for Confederate iconography, the flags, the monuments, among certain groups of Americans, stems from a subtle elision of the differences between the American revolutionaries and their secessionist de- descendants. Even if their cause was evil, the story goes, the valor of the Confederates still places them within the heroic tradition of American resistance to centralized power. In spite of their treachery, they are still held to be at some fundamental level American in character and in principle by their defenders. Now, I wonder if Mr. Hilditch has ever seen what William Barrett Travis said in 1836 when the Texans were confronted by thousands of Mexicans and they were defending the Alamo. And he sent out his letter to... Uh, to other Texans to come to their aid. This was a call for assistance because they were going to be slaughtered. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, there's no question about it. They stay, they're going to die. So he needed soldiers. He needed people to come help. And what he said in that letter was that if you believe in everything that is dear to the American character, which he was talking about independence, then you would come to their aid with all dispatch. So, the American character was self-determination and independence. And for whatever you want to say about these people and what they viewed, and I've done a whole entire podcast on Alexander H. Stevens, which he gets into where I talk about the Cornerstone speech and what it really was, what Stevens said about it later. 
It wasn't, as he says, the de facto manifesto for the rebels. I mean, this is just stupid. Hilditch is a moron in this way. But what he did say, and what I did say about Stevens, I should say this, is that if you look at America in 1861 when Stevens gave that address, which was extemporaneous and not necessarily accurate in what he said, as Stevens himself said, it was scribbled down by a newspaper reporter, but when you look at what, um, if you look at America in 1861, you would be hard-pressed to find many Americans who didn't think the same way, North and South, as Alexander A. Stevens, when it came to race. Americans in 1861 were racist. This is, I mean, this is true. They're racist. So, how, and, and I know people, I mean, I've had a couple of comments recently. Oh, these people weren't following the founders. They weren't the founders. So, so uh, Hilditch is going to get into that. He's going to get into that, and I'm going to take that apart too. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, Americans were racist. So, I mean, if that's the case, then why don't we get rid of the Lincoln Memorial? Lincoln was racist, openly racist. Uh, the I mean, you would be hard for you could, except for some radical Republicans like Thad Stevens, you could barely find an, an American who wasn't racist. We know Benjamin Wade was. We know Lyman Trumbull was. I mean, we know all these people were in in the Republican Party. They were racists. They weren't concerned about the plight of of Africans in America. They didn't like slavery, but there's two different things at work here. They were anti-slavery, but they were certainly racist. Stevens, of course, is saying that because I'm a racist, uh, Stevens is saying because he is a racist, that we should enslave these people because they're not capable of anything else. So we can look at that as repugnant, and it is. I mean, there's, there's nothing about that that's not repugnant when you say that. Because if someone's racist, they should be a slave. Well, that's, I mean, no one's defending that. No one's defending that. So he continues, the homepage of the website for the Sons of Confederate Veterans claims that, quote, the citizen soldiers who fought for the Confederacy personified the best qualities of America and that the, quote, preservation of liberty and freedom was the motivating factor in the South's decision to fight the Second American Revolution. This attempt to establish some sense of continuity between the causes of 1776 and 1861 comes across forcefully in the Confederate Catechism published on the same website, presumably for the purpose of indoctrinating children. Except, I don't think that Mr. Hilditch even knows where this Confederate Catechism comes from. The Confederate Catechism was written by Lion Gardner Tyler, who was the son of President John Tyler, who of course served in the Confederate Congress. Lion Gardner Tyler at one time was the president of the College of William and Mary. And Lion Gardner Tyler wrote the Confederate Catechism because he was irritated with how, at the time, or in the early 20th century, the war was being taught then. And, of course, he was correct about attaching the war to 1776 because Southerners themselves did that during the war. So did Northerners. You go back to that time period, and I think that Gary Gallagher has done a very good job of this, in the Union War and the Confederate War, and showing that both of these individuals, both these groups, even James McPherson has done this, both of these groups thought of themselves as personifying the War for Independence. They said so in letters. This is not something they made up after the war, and I don't think Mr. Hilditch knows this. 
He says in the catechism, President Lincoln is frequently compared to George III. Well, I mean, can you not say that? Trying to keep the Union together through force was the same thing George III was trying to do in 1776. And Lincoln himself said he was fighting for the Union in 1861. That's what we're trying to keep the Union together. You saw slave states in the North. So it's a slave-holding federal republic fighting another slave-holding federal republic. There was no talk about ending slavery at that point. In fact, Lincoln started floating his compensated emancipation plan. And Southerners started debating the exact same thing early on in the war. Can we get rid of, if, if we can get foreign recognition, we'll get rid of slavery. So, look, the war was going to put slavery on the path to extinction either way. This is why some Southerners were against secession. If you look at the Georgia secession debates where Alexander Stevens, who gives the cornerstone speech, was certainly against secession because, as he and others at the convention said, this is going to destroy slavery, not keep it. So certainly Stevens was pro-slavery. Many Confederate leaders were pro-slavery, if not all were pro-slavery. I mean, you, you, you can find a, a few here and there that weren't necessarily pro-slavery when it came to um, you know, some of the political class uh, and military class. But the fact is, I mean, these people were interested in the institution which had served as the backbone of their economy. Um, however, the idea of self-determination, this has always attracted me to this, the idea of self-determination, of being able to say through popular elected conventions, we're no longer going to be part of your union. I mean, if you want to have a free North, this is what people in the North are saying, we just got rid of slavery. We can have a free North now, let them have their slaveholding republic in the South. But that's not what Lincoln said. Lincoln said, no, we got to keep the union together. So in the Catechism, it says it's also the only one given in all caps. It fought to repel invasion and for self-government just as the fathers of the American Revolution had done. As if shouting the answer would make it true. But this is true. You don't have to shout it. It's true. Mr. Hilditch is... I mean, he's going to get into some artful writing here. He gets into Stephen's cornerstone speech, which, again, I've done a, a podcast on, so I'm not going to talk about this. But he does call Stephen's uh, a loon, I think, at one point. Um, let's see. Uh, and so, I mean, that's, that's a little bit far-fetched. I mean, Stephen's was, a, was an intelligent, in fact, a brilliant guy. We can disagree with him on what he said about slavery and race, which we, I mean, you're going to be, again, you'll have people that don't, but they're few and far between. Oh, this race is fool. Sorry. He said, it's attempting to dismiss as an undiluted falsehood every utterance proceeded from the mouth of this racist fool. I mean, this is just virtue signaling. So, so Hilditch is virtue signaling here. Well, look at me. I think he's a racist fool. Well, who doesn't? I mean, this is just stupid. Now, I, I, I don't call him a fool. Was he racist? Yeah. I mean, do we agree with that? No. But should we call him a fool? I can call Cameron Hilditch a fool because he is in some of the things that he says. He says, but, as a but in his characterization of the founders, he is actually correct. All the prominent founding fathers agreed that slavery was evil. They also thought that unilateral emancipation of slaves would lead to a race war in Amer on the American continent. It cannot be stressed enough. This was the overwhelming consensus of anti-slavery statesmen across the world. 
The pinions on the table for the founders, as they saw it, were civil war with the slave states, a race war, or a gradual effort to put slavery on a path to extension by other means. They chose the third option. Now, there's, no going to be, there's not going to be a civil war with the slave states, because first of all, the founders you're talking about were from Virginia, which was a slave state. Oh yeah, but wait a second, by the way, um, every state was a slave state in <laughs> 1776. Oops! So you're going to fight yourselves? Every state was a slave state in 1770. I'm not sure if Cameron Hilditch knows that. Every state was a slave state in 1770. So you're saying there's going to be a civil war with yourselves? Hmm. Cameron Hilditch is a nitwit. Even the prominent founders, he says, most deeply implicated in slavery, recognized it was wrong. Thomas Jefferson owned a plantation mired by debt, so emancipation for, of all of his slaves was never a real possibility. But he did manage to free nine of them. Has he, I don't think he's ever read notes in the state of Virginia. Jefferson was, I mean, he never said very kind things about African Americans. He didn't like slavery, but he certainly was a racist. So was George Washington. I mean, you, you can go down the list. But he actually brings up George Washington. And I'll get into some other stuff here. Uh, I'm going to go a little long in this segment. And I'll, I'll take a quick break here in a second. But he says, when we turn our attention to George Washington, the case for continuity between the founders' cause, not to mention their moral fiber, and that of the Confederates collapses altogether. Really? In accordance with Virginia law, Washington freed all of his slaves upon the deaths of his wife and himself. In his will, he instructed that slaves too old or too beset with body infirmities to look after themselves should be taken care of by his estate, and all slave children would be taught to read and write and trained up for some useful occupation. His estate continued to support some of the freed slaves for decades after he had died. When the Marquis de Lafayette purchased a plantation for freed slaves to live on, Washington praised him as an example for the country. He also left behind slaves that he took north with him after he completed his term as president returned to Virginia, freeing them on the sly, as one biographer wrote. And he tried to sublet much of his estate so, so that his slaves might be hired by the year as laborers by tenant farmers. He was looking for a way, as he put it in a letter, to liberate a certain species of property which I possess very repugnantly to my own feelings. Now, uh, this is also the same George Washington that was irritated in 1781, essentially, when the British left New York, that they brought slaves with them. They took slaves from New York. Washington said, these slaves need to stay. They're slaves. This is 1781. Same George Washington. Same George Washington didn't have, I mean, it depends on which George Washington you're reading because the leftists think George Washington was brutal to his slaves. We know that these slaves continued to be owned by... <laughs> by the estate because this is, these are the same slaves, the descendants, that Robert E. Lee had to, or in the family, that Robert E. Lee had to get rid of, dispose of the estate when he was in charge of it after uh, it was, the task was put to him in the 1860s. We know that, I mean, so wait a second here. Something's going on here. He says, of course, Washington and Jefferson owned slaves in the first place, and they can still be criticized for failing to do more to end the practice. Really? They can't? I mean, what were they supposed to do at the time? I mean, Jefferson actually had the chance in Illinois. There was some discussion of bringing slavery to Illinois, and Jefferson didn't really, as Kevin Goodsman has pointed out, 
in his recent biography of Jefferson. Jefferson turned, he didn't say much about this. He had a chance later in life to really put slavery on a path to extinction, and he didn't. Why? Because he didn't want to. He didn't want to. Now, I mean, saying this, of course, well, this is why he needs to come down. But Jefferson, of course, is um, one of the most important men in, in American history. And taking his image, I mean, look, he's the author of the Declaration. Just, I mean, in so many other ways, we have a Jeffersonian America. So to say that Jefferson needs to be eradicated because, of his, views on, because his views on race are repugnant to modern society is just idiotic. There would be no America without Thomas Jefferson or George Washington. It would not be here. We would still be saying, God save the queen. What Hilditch says then is just ridiculous. He says, but what cannot be doubted is that insofar as the cornerstone of the Confederacy was what Stevens odiously called the South's peculiar institution, that's what other people called it too, it's peculiar, not because it was odd, but because it was in the South at that point, the rebels were irretrievably outside of the American political tradition established by these men. Really? They were outside of the American political tradition established by these men because Abraham Lincoln said that it was. Abraham Lincoln, who the historian Gary Wills said revolutionized the revolution. Lincoln was making it up. This is what the abolitionists were starting to say, that the revolution was something different than what it was, what even Jefferson said it was. I mean, so... I don't think that Mr. Hilditch really has a conceptualization of what of American history, a very good one, at all. So, I've gone long in this segment. I've got to take a break for a second. I'll finish this up. It's going to be a longer podcast today. I'm going to finish this up in a minute. I will have a very short segment after this, but i got to take a quick break. I'll see you in a second. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video, I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why, and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a Ph.D. in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years. And I've seen college students get worse over time, the curriculum get worse, and students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that. And this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up. It's free. And I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do. But I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum, and uh, my family has homeschooled all of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum, that's why I designed the United States History 18, to 1865 and 1865 to present. You've got enough material, you've got lesson plans, you've got uh, tests, you've got reading material, you've got reading seminars. You've got 36 weeks, if you take them, buy them both, you've got 36 weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum. Or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise. But it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. 
So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll. And I'll see you there. All right, we're back talking about Cameron Hillich and his hit piece on Confederate symbols. The Irishman Cameron Hillich and his hit piece on Confederate symbols. Um, I'm not going to go long on this segment because the last segment was close to 30 minutes. So I don't want to... uh, to keep you for you know an hour because we could keep doing this. In fact, maybe I'll do two shows on this. There's another piece that Cameron Hilditch produced, again, a follow-up piece, which I think is uh, in many ways more interesting. It's he was backpedaling a, a bit, though I will I will give him, you know, give him some respect for this. He didn't backpedal all the way. Uh, because I think he received a lot of heat for that first piece. People recognizing that uh, there's some something wrong here. Now even National Review pr- printed a piece that was um, uh, critical of, of what he said. But I will say this. Uh, what these people don't realize, what Mr. Hilditch and a lot of the other conservatives, neoconservatives, even Victor Davis Hanson has come out and said, well, wait, look, wait, wait, we can't get rid of these things. We can't get rid of them. Because I think what they're starting to realize is that, oops, we made a mistake because Victor Davis Hanson has come out and said that Confederate symbols, you know, the, the neo-Confederates, Calhoun, all this stuff, all the people he's attacked, they've started to realize, wait a second here, what we're doing is undermining our own position. We are destroying America because it's not going to stop at Confederate symbols. It won't. It can't. You see, that's the point. It won't and it can't. And what all these people are essentially saying, what they, they call Confederate soldiers, Southern Americans, because that's what they're saying. These people are un-American. They're undermining the entire foundation of the United States. If we truly believe in self-determination, if we truly de- believe that the principles of 1776 are something we should all support, then what the heck are we celebrating on July 4th if we're not celebrating the principle of self-determination and independence? I mean, this is, and this is exactly what, when you get to the heart of it, was going on in 1861. Lincoln himself said that. I'm not going to let these states leave the Union. I'm not going to let them exercise their self-determination and their independence. Remember that the southern states seceded from the Union in crushing majorities. Whether you believe in their cause or you think their cause is just, or whatever you think of their cause, we can debate all of that. Were they fighting for slavery? Were they fighting against slavery? Were they pro-slavery? Were they anti-slavery? Whatever it is. Was the North pro-slavery, anti-slavery, whatever that is. It all comes down to this. Was the South allowed, or was there a basis, an American basis for their action in 1861? And the question of that is unequivocally yes. These people were following the American tradition as established by the founding generation, who, again, there were 13 slaveholding states that seceded from the British Empire. The Union of the British Empire. Thirteen slaveholding states. If you sit around and start saying the founders were anti-slavery, some were, I mean, without question, but they were none of them, not one of them, was pro-egalitarian racial equality. You're not going to find it, because they weren't. They were all racist, too. Now, we know that people had said some things, uh, you know, they, they uh, abhorred the treatment of the poor treatment of, of blacks in the South or in the North. 
one of the most interesting, I was in this uh, district in California, the school district in California is Berkeley, California, which if you go back and look at what Berkeley, California is named after, Berkeley, California is named after an Irishman, in fact, it's kind of, we're talking about Irishman, an Irishman, Dean Berkeley, who was a bishop uh, who settled in Rhode Island for a very brief amount of time. He's a very important philosopher, anti-Lockean uh, philosopher, but settled in Rhode Island for a time. And at the time, Rhode Island was, of course, a very strong slave-owning colony. He settled there in the early 18th century. And what's interesting about that, if you look at pro-slavery ideology, the North, New England, was the genesis of much of the arguments used against uh, the abolitionists. The very first pro-slavery tract written in America was written in 1701 by John Saffin in Massachusetts. And then, of course, in the 18th century, you see this over and over again. And, and Berkeley, or Barkley, as they would have said in Virginia, Berkeley was critical of the treatment of blacks in Rhode Island. And you saw an exponential growth of slavery in Rhode Island. In fact, there's a very good website um, that was put together years ago, and it's still out there. The guy, I've, I've corresponded with him a couple of times. The, the website is Slave North. I think it's slavenorth.net or .com. It's one of the Slave North. And he, he just goes through and he pulls up all these states. And what, when did slavery end in these and how was slave? It's just, I mean, they're short, but it's very good. And he uses sources that are out there for everybody to use. And he shows that, wait a second here, New England wasn't really the gland of good, happy abolitionists as people like Cameron Hilditch would describe it as. And certainly Abraham Lincoln was making stuff up as he went. Because if you really look at American history, it's the founding generation was not pro-egalitarian. They might have been anti-slavery, but even in the 1860s, you would find anti-slavery men that were ardent racists. As ardent racist as Alexander H. Stevens. The only difference was that Stevens said, because I'm a racist, we should enslave people. The anti-slavery, the racist anti-slavery people would say, because I'm a racist, we shouldn't enslave people. We should pity these people, but we should send them back to Africa. Or we should bottle them up in the South so they can vote Republican. So we win elections. You see. This was the cause of the North. And unfortunately, people like Hilditch get it all wrong. And of course, these are the conservatives. These are the conservatives who are supposed to be out saying, you know, we need to defend American society, American culture. Their, their proposition nation is entirely different from traditional American conservatism. The real American that needs to be defended is the federal American. When I mean that, the federal republic. The, uh, and, and even as Booker T. Washington said, I'm going to read you a quote. I'm going to, I'm going to end this particular podcast, podcast with a quote from Booker T. Washington. This is something I wrote a few years ago. And it says this, quote, Booker T. Washington thought these memorials and monuments were worthwhile. And I'm talking about Confederate monuments. In 1914, he agreed to help fight, I'm sorry, agreed to help find funding for the Confederate monument in Opelika, Alabama, saying that, quote, we all realize more and more that men like him, Confederate veteran George Paul Harrison, are true friends of our race, and that any monument that will keep the fine character of such heroes before the public will prove helpful to both races in the South. 
end quote. This is Booker T. Washington in Macon County, Alabama. Now, what's also interesting, there's a Confederate monument in Tuskegee, where you have Tuskegee Institute in Macon County, that's owned by, private, owned by a private organization, the UDC. And there was an article written about this in the AP in 2018, Um, and it's about, you know, how is this monument in Tuskegee uh, still there? So what's interesting, um, and I, and I want to read parts of this because this is, this article was published in 2018, August 9, 2018. Um, They're talking about this Confederate monument. It says, The story of how such a monument could remain in place a century later offers lessons in just how hard it can be to confront a shared history that still divides a nation. Established by the Alabama legislature, the Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute was founded in 1881, according to the school's official history. By the time of Tuskegee's 25th anniversary, founder Booker T. Washington was widely acclaimed for advocating practical education, character building, and hard work to lift blacks from poverty. Coverage of the anniversary festivals in the Tuskegee News, a white-owned newspaper, emphasized that blacks needed to get along with the whites who had near-total control in the old Confederate states. Meanwhile, the United Daughters of the Confederacy, composed of female descendants of Confederate veterans, was erecting monuments glorifying the lost cause of the South across the region. That's not what it was. And this is they, they skew things. They were erecting monuments to honor dead soldiers. The women of the Tuskegee chapter planned one for their town, holding events to raise money. Two months after the Tuskegee Institute anniversary, leaders of the white-controlled county government gave the United Daughters the two-acre main downtown square to serve as a park for white people around a memorial to Macon County's Confederate Veterans City Records show. The monument finally was dedicated on October 6, 1909. The Montgomery Advertiser called the ceremony one of the largest masses of white people ever before witnessed in Tuskegee. Newspaper stories from the time don't say whether any blacks attended the event, but they most certainly were around. Macon County was around 82% black then, census records show, although Jim Crow laws kept whites in firm political control. And then it goes down to some other things. Frustrated after an all-white jury in another county acquitted a white man accused of murder and the shooting death of a civil rights worker, Samuel L. Young, Jr., Blacks took out their anger on the Confederate monument in 1966. On a night when rocks flew through windows around the town square, demonstrators identified in news accounts as Tuskegee students went after the Confederate monument, attaching a chain or rope to it. We didn't have a vehicle to topple it that night, and that's why it's still there, said Samuel Schultz, 72. A demonstrator is now a contractor in Trenton, New Jersey. But protesters did have spray paint. They painted a yellow stripe down the face of the stone soldier with the words Black Power scrawled on the base on black paint. First elected mayor in 1972, but now out of office, Johnny Ford said he tried to have the monument relocated after taking office and again in 2015. Both efforts failed, as did a few similar attempts during the intervening years. For some, the statue is just part of the city's landscape, and it isn't much of an issue. It's just part of Tuskegee, part of its history, said Kelvin Stevens, a black man who works in a computer shop near the memorial. <laughs> well, here's a guy, I mean, yeah, it's just part of the history. This is what most normal people think in the South. Most normal people. Just part of it. So we just have it out there. Doesn't do anything to him. He's working at a computer store in Tuskegee. I'm sure it's really, I mean, that's really affecting Mr. Stevens. 
The United Daughters of Confederacy still owns the square where the monument stands, and they don't plan to remove it. It's a wonderful addition to the downtown area and has been for over 100 years, and the United Daughters see no reason for it to change, said a letter to the city by an attorney for the group. A few members still in town cleaned the statue after vandals tagged it with spray paint about three years ago, Wyatt said in an interview, but they've yet to remove black paint that stains the gravestone following a similar incident in October. Mayor Lawrence F. Haygood has said he understands why some people want the statue gone, but there are no moves afoot to remove it as the one-year anniversary approaches of a deadly conf- confrontation over a Confederate monument in Charlottesville, Virginia. It's unclear whether anything can be done anyway, since Alabama legislators passed a law last year banning the removal of or alteration of sites including Confederate monuments like the one in Tuskegee. It's just there in town like it's always been, said the mayor. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is what most, again, most normal people think. It's like, okay, well, that thing's there, yeah, all right. Get on with our lives and get on with our day. Booker T. Washington, by the way, voted every single election in Macon County, Alabama. They controlled it. There was no, I mean, you can say this stuff, but that, I don't think they really understand Tuskegee or Macon County because Booker T. Washington voted every year. And uh, it, it, that, that's the un told part of this. So, Mr. Hilditch has got some serious problems with his article. Uh, just by simply saying Confederates were un-American, you really are distorting American history. They, are, they were following a most American principle of self-determination. There's nothing else involved in it but that. And I know that saying that nowadays is just, I mean, you're saying something so politically incorrect, but it's the truth. And I think if we want to celebrate American independence or American self-determination, I mean, look, when you come back and say, well, yeah, but blacks didn't vote in that. Well, blacks didn't vote in 1776 either. So, I mean, that's a stupid argument. That's just stupid. So uh, it's, um, it, it's, it's a point of fact that these people were following an American position. The Confederate flag is an American symbol. It's not a Nazi symbol. It's the Confederate statues are American statues. They're not Nazi statues. In fact, Confederate de- descendants fought in large numbers against Nazis and real fascists. You've got actual fascists nowadays calling themselves anti-fascists who are running around trying to silence people and do things and homogenize everything. Every, I mean, you've got to get rid of this and that. I mean, this is the French Revolution again. It is. This is the French Revolution again. We're seeing the early stages of it. Hopefully it never gets very far, but when you have useful idiots like Cameron Hilditch, it can go a lot further. These people should just start saying, look, okay, you can't take these things down. Sorry, don't get rid of Confederate symbols. It all has to stay. Because if we do it now, they're going to come after the founding generation. They already have. They're going to come after other people. In fact, I think it was, uh, I can't remember the, the website, put out a list of things that need to come down. And one of them, again, was Kate Smith. Kate Smith, who's saying, God bless America, had to, I mean, it's already come down. But, I mean, this is ridiculous. These are how stupid these people actually are. All right. So, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. Sorry, this one was a long one. I might do a part two with Cameron Hilditch's response to the, crit- to the critics in the next episode. I'll see. But anyways, I'll see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.